Live from Kansas City, where the coronavirus will not prevail, where the riots are not running or ruining our great city. Live from Kansas City, where Kansas City barbecue is still famous worldwide, where there are more barbecue restaurants than any other city, where the Kansas City Chiefs and KC Royals made sports history, the city of fountains, where there are more fountains than in Rome, the city of jazz music, the city of art and murals, headquarters of Hallmark Cards, the city where Walt Disney attended art school, where the the swing sound of jazz music was invented. Kansas City, home of the tallest, largest, and fastest roller coasters in the world, where the Happy Meal was invented. Headquarters of Russell Stover's, home of the Country Club Plaza, oldest outdoor shopping district, 80 miles of Christmas lights, turned on all at once for 250,000 visitors each year. The home of 220 parks, 29 lakes, 103 playgrounds, and 134 miles of trails and bikeways. Live from Kansas City, KC Bird Whisper International Productions presents Bird Talk, live online. I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Come on and listen. We got suggestions on the Bird Talk radio. If your bird's misbehaving, we'll help you save it on the Bird Talk radio. If your bird's getting rowdy, just call and say howdy on the Bird Talk radio. We are birds of a feather. We'll stick together on the Bird Talk Radio. Dot com. Live from Kansas City, Casey Bird Whisper International Productions presents Bird Talk live online. I'm your host, Mike Kiker. I am live. I am really live. It is January, February, March, April, May. That's month number five, the 31st day of May 2020. And I'm saying this, so if you're listening to the pre-recorded show later, you'll know that you're not listening to the live show. Because I, <laughs> I put everything in the pre-recorded show. We record everything and we, we break it up into 20-minute segments and republish it on the streaming of podcasts shows so that you may be more successful with your feathered loved ones is what we're all about is the bird love and you being more successful and enjoying more love from your pet bird and them enjoying more love from you no doubt they will i have susie ludy connected wildlife biologist she also does some rescue. Um, she's not like a great big rescue or anything, but she does some rescue of her own. She has quite a few birds. She's been rescuing. She probably rescue anything <laughs> from <laughs> knowing her, and, and you can hear her there in the background. Welcome to Bird Talk Live Online, Susie. So well, how do you do? I'm doing um, great. I how are you doing? And should we go right? right to the story listening audience Susie has a bunch of, of cockatoos they're uh you should see her videos and you can find her on Facebook Susie Ludy L-U-T-E-Y um and she's really good really great with with her birds she loves them like they're her own kids just like most people do and and she's rescued a bunch of birds and she has why did let's before the 
the Mount St. Helens story, Susie. I've had Susie on the show before, and the one of the most interesting things I remember, Susie, is when you you're telling me about your technique, about how you <laughs> you get them used to being in your 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 domicile there, your rescue building where you keep your birds. Can you uh, share that with us again? You know what I'm talking about. Sure, sure. Well, um, my parrot rescue is friend of a feather. Yeah, Susie's friend of a feather rescue. And um, I specialize in feather nutrition, PTSD of birds, plucking, and also behavioral issues. And so I get a lot of birds that have been very damaged, neglected, or have been traumatized in one way or another. And so one of the ways that I um, in fact, it's the way that I get the bird to trust me and understand that I'm not going to hurt him is, um, of course, I file their beak and give them a bath and kind of wear them out during the day. And I do clip their wings just to get them to the point where I'm in control. But I sleep in a sleeping bag with them the first few nights. And so you wear way- them down like little kids. <laughs> Right. And then I sleep and I zip them up in a sleeping bag with me and I talk to them all night long and I just pet them. I'm not laughing at you. It's so funny. I've never heard anybody say that all the years people I've talked to. But I can see how it might. And evidently it works. Right. Well, I used to take. Well, I used to take the. uh, A lot of people would call me that would get a bird from that went through quarantine, you know. Um, when they used to let imports come in the country. And these birds were wild and they were mean and they were angry and they rightfully so. And so um, I would try to uh, uh, tame them down and I was never unsuccessful. I was always successful, but the sleeping bag trick seems to be the real key to the whole thing. And then the next morning they're really hungry and then I feed them by hand. And so I've got, by the, about the fourth day, I've got that bird stepping up and all those kind of things, even wild birds. So that's, uh, that's what uh, Mike is, uh, Michael is laughing about. <laughs> yes, it is. It is funny, but and not, you know, like funny at you. It's funny what people will do to, to get a bird to trust you and warm up to you and love you and love them as love you as much as you love them and and but you know um i was just remembering something from um, my conversation with ginger duplessis um ginger's parrot rescue casa grande arizona arizona see a lot of you people are too young to know that song so i won't sing it but um she was telling me she's uh, positive reinforcement trainer, Susan Freeman graduate and all that. And she said something that you just mentioned, Susie, that's really interesting. You said in the morning, they're really hungry. And so then, and you kind of said, they'll do whatever I want because I have the food. <laughs> you know, that's so, right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's kind of a food-based training. Yeah. And that's what Ginger said. She said, she said mm-hmm. that she takes all the food and water out of the bird cages mm-hmm. every night from the rescue. And and this is a kind of a twofold 
purpose here. One reason for this is because they don't need food and water all night unless they're you know like diabetic or something and they have to have water all night and they drink all night or something um, or they need food all night I think diabetic birds need to eat constantly like diabetic people do you know snacks in between meals and and that kind of stuff but um, she takes all the food and water bowls out in the evening and then when she comes in in the morning it uh, she's bringing them the food and water every morning and so they're really happy to see her just like you were talking about you mm -hmm. wear them down all day like you wear down little five-year-old kids you know keep them busy right. you know uh, chasing soccer balls in the backyard all day so they're tired enough to go to sleep in the evening and then you tuck them in your sleeping bag and then in the morning when they wake up they're all real hungry so mm -hmm. ginger says hey this is the best time to train your bird because mm -hmm. they 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 want food and it's not you know like you know something like you know you're it's not abusive or anything this is this is an opportunity to to establish your relationship with a bird and i've heard other bird trainers say this too food-based training treat-based training this is when you you put four or five things in the bowl about five different nuts and see which one the bird goes for first then you know that's the high value treat and now it's time to train and you got that bird that won't come out of the cage well he's hungry and you got his high value treat in your hand so we know it's happening next right 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 mm-hmm mm -hmm. yes but the sleeping well, you know, bag thing uh, Susie <laughs> you 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 have I mean you have put the patent on that I mean that's you I've never heard anybody say that that's so funny but well I've gone through quite a few sleeping bags I'll tell you because they'll wreck the zipper I'll tell that's the first thing they go for is that's my zipper and I'm getting out of here <laughs> yeah yeah the cockatoos and larger parents, they can chew yeah. stuff up like a little puppy, right? Just yes, yes, tear they right can. It. Yeah. But generally, by the time we get in the sleeping bag, they're they're tired and they just they they go to sleep right away, and then um, they'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm still petting them and still talking to them, and by the time morning comes, they're very used to my voice, and they very much know that I'm not going to hurt them. So the first night is a real success night. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think you said last time too, uh, one of your reasons for success is, is that they like the sound of your voice particularly. Yeah, I kind of have a, uh, a high voice, uh, squeaky voice, you might say. And I don't know, for some reason, and I emphasize words um, to them, you know, like, um, uh, like, uh, here she comes you know and uh do you want to go to bed things like that and it just gets the bird like oh gosh and they'll start saying those things because they just listen because it's such a emphasis on different words um um are you hungry are you hungry cookie, sound please. fluctuation yeah yeah, yeah. Cookie, like please, they do in the wild they fluctuate yep. their sounds yeah you bet uh-huh yeah so they probably like mimicking you. They're like, hey, this yeah. lady sounds pretty cool. Let's <laughs> let's get along with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you. Okay, well, some of the cockatoos actually 
I mean, many of the birds, they, they know what they're saying after a while. I've got uh, a gray that I can take a purple, a green grape, a purple grape, a green grape, and a peanut. And I can ask him what kind of treat he wants, and he'll tell me. And then if you don't give it to him, he'll put his nose up in the air, and he'll go, no, that's not a green grape. <laughs> and I'll go, oh, what is this? Peanut. I don't want a peanut. They I want a green so grape. Smart, and they? I'll tell you, I just, just this amazes you. And I'll show that to people, and they go, he really knows what he wants. And I go, yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I, I haven't heard anybody um, share that, uh, that type of experience. But I do believe that I know mm -hmm. listening audience, they can – they can identify colors. They're color oriented, mm -hmm. often. Yeah. And uh, Ginger Duplessis, she has a bird. <laughs> when you mentioned that your bird knew what color the grapes are, and what mm -hmm. is a grape and what is a peanut, I was reminded of something Ginger told me about. And when she, when she, before she takes up all the bowls all the food bowls and water bowls and by the way the second purpose for that listening audience is so she can clean all the food and water bowls and she has a huge rescue over there in Casa Grande it's Ginger's Parrots uh, Ginger's Parrot Ginger's Parrots .org. I built her WordPress website I think it's Ginger's Parrot Rescue .org. Um, but you can you can contact her. She'll tell you. Yeah, I take up all the food and water bowls in the evening. Um, so they're glad to see me in the morning because I'm bringing the food. I'm the bringer of the food. But something funny she told me is one of her African greys, before she takes up all the food and water bowls every night, that bird starts saying, time to take the food time to take the water time to take the food time to take the water <laughs> right on time every day it's like mm -hmm. the bird knows it's time of the you day for her routine. to come and get the food and water That's bowl right. so the bird tells her time to take the food time to take the water time to take the food <laughs> yeah well they know the routine let me tell you they're not dumb <laughs> they're not they're not no, they're amazing no. listening audience if you never had a parrot you're in for something you're in for something. <laughs> hey, dogs and cats are great. I've had a lot of them in my lifetime, but you'll never, you'll never experience anything like you will with these, these toddlers that never mm -hmm. grow up, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what else, Susie? What do you want? What else you want to tell us about the rescue before we go to well, the I Mount St. Helens erupting? <laughs> and you running for your life experience. Well, I thought that I would um, tell about the Mount St. Helens rescue. And then I would tell you about a, that one will be dealing with a Mexican redhead bird. But I also thought I'd tell you about baby that's an umbrella cockatoo and his life and uh, wh what I use him for now, because he's quite an amazing bird. And um but for my rescue of friend of a feather, um, I have 19 birds. I have grays, Amazons, cockatoos, goffins, and umbrellas, and uh, a conure and a couple Quakers. 
And all the birds uh, have chosen a buddy, so they're all paired up with each other. I've got um, a couple ladies that are in hospice, so their birds will be coming to me, and we have a contract drawn up already for that. Um, and I'm looking to leave the state of Washington and move to uh, less of a Four Seasons uh, state, so I'm going south somewhere. And that'll be happening hopefully in a year, year and a half. And southeast. Kansas City yes. is southeast. Yes, right. We have a lot less, except wintertime can be pretty brutal here sometimes. We have a yes. great seasonal. Susie, this, well, this area is the best. Well, we I don't have survived want, a pandemic I don't want a winter. better than anybody. You don't want well, any winter, then you probably want right. to go on down further yeah. south. Yeah, I've Further been in every state yeah. in this country. Just go down there and and move in with Ginger Duplessis down there in Arizona. She could <laughs> there use it. There you help. go. I'm sure she could. She'd love to have uh -huh. you. I know she would. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, uh -huh. you you guys would get along get along really good down there in Arizona. You definitely wouldn't have any winter there. Only, I think it's about 120 in the summertime. But it's dry heat. It's dry heat. So, yeah, which is much more tolerable. It is. I, and yes. I tell you, I've been there many times, listening audience, and 110, and you don't even really know it's 110 unless you look at the weather. You know, because mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's so dry. But, but if you stand outside for about 20 minutes, you'll know it's 110 when you have a sunburn in about 20 minutes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Wearing some some reflective clothing. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Susie, what's next? Let's tell the story. Go on. Well, Go on. <laughs> tell the crazy story. <laughs> Listen, guys, this story is so funny. And but it may not have been really funny for her, but uh, it's wild. well, it, the, this the is time a real it wasn't, but wildlife is... wilderness story. You don't make up a story like this. No, you don't. I mean, you just no. cannot make this story no up. Way. But um, I was the Mount St. Helens fish biologist for the state of Washington. And um, I uh, had my birds and they would go out with me when I was interviewing fishermen or doing my research. I actually took them out, took them down the Columbia River on a canoe. Um, my birds, I uh, took them out sampling when I'd go on the reservoirs. And so I took my birds a lot of places. And of course the fishermen and their kids would just love the birds because I've trained my birds now so that children can play with them and they don't bite at all. So I don't have to worry about the birds at all. And um, so the day of the eruption came around, but of course I did not know it was going to erupt that day, but we all did know that it was going to erupt. And that's why there was a red zone. And I had a red zone pass. And that morning, um, that whole week before the eruption, I had been taking National Geographic around to show them different places and different things so they were really interested but the guy that ran the van for national geographic was a paraplegic and so the van was situated for him to drive it and we met the, the day before the eruption i uh, put um a net out in spirit lake because i was going to bring them to meet harry truman the old man that lived on spirit lake that refused to leave and he had millions of cats, millions of cats. And so I set a net and then the next morning we met at 4 a.m. in the morning because we were gonna go 
uh, make our way to Spirit Lake. And the guy that ran the van looked at me and I, I just looked at him and thought, boy, that guy's really yellow. He does not look good at all. And he said to me, we can't go today. I've got to go get kidney dialysis today. And I said, not knowing it was the day the mountain was going to erupt, I said, I can't leave that net there for more than a day. I could take the whole lake full of fish. I could kill them all, you know? And he goes, well, I just can't do it. I've got to go to the hospital. And I was a little bit miffed, but it really, he was doing what the Lord wanted him to do, going to get kidney dialysis and saving our lives. So we did not go that day to Spirit Lake, and I drove around to the other side, picked up three of my birds, and continued on up the North Lewis River on the other side of the um, mountain. And I stopped at one of the lakes there, and um, I picked up uh, a blue front Amazon, a Mexican redhead, which is the bird of the topic of conversation, and um, her name is Pickles, and I named her Pickles because she's green on the outside with seeds in the, in the middle like a cucumber, which you make pickles out of, and she has a pimento head, which is red, so I named her Pickles, and um, so I picked up three birds and went on the other side, and I stopped at this one boat launch, and the previous day, um, fishermen were catching uh, 12 fish an hour, which was really amazing. And it was kokanee, which are landlocked sockeye salmon. And everybody loved that fish. And uh, the boaters and also the um, sailboats were fishing also because in the springtime, the kokanee are near the surface and you can fly fish for them. Now, as the season progresses and the water gets warmer, they sound and go down. But in, but But you can fly fish for them in the spring while the day of the eruption, I stopped there and the boats would go out and the boats would come right back in immediately. And I said to him, well, how come you guys are coming back in? We got our limit. We got our limit in 15 minutes, 12 fish in 15 minutes. And this one guy says, you got to come out on the boat with us. We want to show you something. And every time we would get an earthquake, and the earthquakes came closer and closer and closer together. The, the schools of fish would porpoise across the top of the water. And I had never seen that before, ever. And so, um, wow, like so from the vibration of the earthquakes, yes, yes, because jumping out of the water. Yeah, because, you know, like you're on, if you're scuba diving or snorkeling or something and you can hear a boat that's long, far away and it sounds like it's right beside you, well, they're getting the percussion of those earthquakes in the water and they're just porpoising across the top of the water. And it was just amazing. And um, so I went out with a fisherman and came back in and I said, I have never seen that before. And I've been doing fisheries for a long time. And um, so we got back to shore and uh, this, uh, the, the, rough, the uh, earthquakes came from every half an hour, every 10 minutes, we, they started getting to be every five minutes. And I said, you know what, guys, I'm going to beat it. I'm going to go up closer to the mountain. I just have this strange feeling. So I packed up my birds and we went closer to the mountain on the side that did not blow out, but the side that it that um, the uh, by the North Lewis River, 
So anyway, um, I went up approximately right from the base of the mountain. I was only like about uh, 20 miles from the base of the mountain, but of course I was up on a big, big hill. And I had a yellow Toyota pickup at the time. I wish they made yellow Toyota pickups still. So I opened up my truck door and I put the three birds on top of the truck door. And I was looking down in the valley there below me and there was a, uh, a group of deer, a herd of deer down there. And all of a sudden the wind died absolutely perfectly, completely still. And this is what happened just before the eruption. The deer just, bam, they hit the ground. They just laid right down. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. They're even right out in the, you can just see them. Why aren't they covering themselves underneath trees, you know? And because then, you're about to be covered in molten lava, Susie. That's why. <laughs> I, know, I know, but I didn't know that, you know. And um, so, and then this was really interesting. And it took me two years after that to go to an entomologist at Michigan State University to find out what was happening. All the insects came down out of the sky and carpeted my yellow truck. And I was going like, Holy cow. I mean, I was just in amazement. Now, a little did I know that it had already started to erupt on the other side. So, see, I didn't know that. And these insects came out it and take a while for the like the tremors the ash, to move across the land and all that. Well, they for the ash to go up in the air. Yeah. See, this was a, an airflow of ash, you know, and the thing is, is what I found out from that entomologist at Michigan State University is that the electrostatic, the, um, yeah, the electrostatic, the electromagnetic, uh, the static electricity in the air um, disrupted the, the insects from their being able to fly, and they had to come out of the air to because they couldn't fly anymore. And this ash was affecting their ability to fly. Hmm. Well, anyway, um, I so they look... all landed on your truck. Yeah, well, they were landing everywhere. <laughs> we well, were... here for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you see, my truck, of course, is yellow. So it was very visibly black when all these, <laughs> these, I mean, and there were even dragonflies and damselflies. Damselflies are the ones of a different color. They were even on my truck. And I mean, that was, and they were crawling all over each other. And that was extremely interesting to me. Now, maybe they wanted to ride out of there. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh my gosh. Little did they know. Let's that, go. Come on. Uh, oh, well, I'll tell you about that in a second. But anyway, um, so the uh, insects were, came out of the air. And just as I went into the red zone, I had a red zone pass. The American Press International had a camera and they said, are you going in? Oh, we know who you are. Would you please take our camera and take any pictures that might happen? And I Before was like, yeah. well, yeah. And I said, I don't know how to run your camera. And he said, well, just poke this button anytime you want to take a picture. Well, he didn't. I guess I wasn't watching or whatever. But when the mountain did erupt, I took their camera to take the picture and I ejected all the film. I pushed the wrong button. Oh, they weren't happy with me at all. Oh, 
Yeah, so I ejected all the film. So I just picked up my little camera and I went. I was my life and I messed up your video. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. So anyway, as the ash started going up into the air, I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is just like, I can't believe this. I almost like I wanted to pinch myself because I could not believe that the mountain was erupting right in front of my face. And yeah, you had salmon to count too, didn't you? Yeah, well, I should have been doing that, yes. <laughs> and so, and I hid my truck in the in the trees because I knew that. Um, well, this was after it erupted. I realized I put them, pulled them underneath the trees because I figured, well, the Forest Service is going to be cleaning people out of the red zone, and I didn't want to go because I just thought this is just so amazing. I don't. I want to stay here until nightfall you know which i did well in the meantime right after i ejected the film out of that camera and realized why i really screwed it up and then i picked up my camera and i started taking pictures pickles my mexican redhead that's standing on my though the window above the window on my door of my truck she takes off and i went oh, i thought she was clipped well, so much for that. She had grown them back. So I thought she was clipped and she took off and she kept going higher and higher and higher to the point where, you know, when you're watching an airplane that's way up in the air, you finally lose <laughs> track of it and you have to keep blinking your eyes to see it. Yeah, well, I kept blinking. Yeah, she would. Yeah. <laughs> she was gone, man. She was gone. And I was like, oh, and you know, I, I didn't know what to give my attention to. The insects on my truck, my bird that just flew away, or the or the once in a lifetime mountain erupting. You know, and I started thinking, oh no, she's gonna get taken by a hawk, and uh hawk the eagle's gonna get her, an owl's gonna get her. But I could not see her any longer and I had to switch my mind from worrying about her because I really figured I would never see her again and it was just a real heartbreak so I spent the whole day up there watching this just amazing and I mean the the pumice balls um the farther away from the mountain you were the smaller the pumice balls and the ash got but when you were right by the mountain, the pumice balls were a pretty big size and they really dented my truck. They really like, dented. Kind of like um, rocks and stuff that had yeah. cooled off yeah, flying yeah. out of the, mm -hmm. the crater. Yeah, it's super, it's super cooled um, lava that's got a lot of, um, of oxygen in it and So does and air, insurance air in cover it. that? <laughs> <laughs> like hail damage, well, actually, um, pumice ball damage. And I don't well, think you we know, cover that. <laughs> well, you know what? They they did. Oh, good. They helped me out because down there, I was in the newspapers, every four newspapers every week, telling people how to fish, telling people the effects of Mount St. Helens and all that kind of stuff. So they knew who I was, and I think they bent the rules, truthfully. But they helped me get another truck. And so nice. I was very appreciative. Yeah, yeah it really was. Get some fish. So they were happy. <laughs> I helped them get yeah. some fish, right? So anyway, you sure well, you want to leave there, Susie? You could be a fishing guide. And you yeah, well, yeah, I could. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, anyway, so Pickles is gone. The mountain is still going. And suddenly this, um, like we're getting toward dusk and the uh, Forest Service helicopter comes by and they yell my name. Susie, you need to leave the red zone. And <laughs> I'm going like, I, I don't want to leave the red zone. And they go, you need to leave the red zone. Well, guess what? I was out of gas. <laughs> I couldn't believe it on the most important day in the year. I can't entire... leave the red zone. <laughs> no, I don't have any gas. Oh, I, they were mad at me. Oh, my goodness, they were mad. And see, I was going to fill up in food. I was going to fill up in Cougar. That the mountains little... erupting. They're flying <laughs> right. over yelling at you, and, and you can't leave. <laughs> I can't leave because I don't have any gas. And, <laughs> and so, Pickles flew off. I know, and so Pickles is still gone. Trying to figure out where Pickles is, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, and the ash is getting, actually on the road, was getting relatively deep, and it's slippery. Um, it's very, very slippery. So, of course, I got stuck in the ash. So anyway, I was not on the Forest Service um, happy zone, or they weren't—they were not happy with me at all. And so somebody brought me up um, a, a. Could somebody go out and rescue Susie, please? Yes, they did. <laughs> they did. They came and brought me some gas, and I, and I made it, made it out of the red zone. And of course, they expanded the red zone after that. And um, so now. The very next morning, see, I didn't get really home until like one o'clock in the morning. And the very next morning, it started to get light at five. And like, I knew the logging roads. And so I took the logging roads. I wanted to go back up to see what was going on up there and thought maybe, maybe, just maybe I'll find my bird. So I went the old logging road way and I got some pictures like nobody's got pictures of the very first, all the wildlife tracks all through the ash way up there. And um, there, all the bridges were down. All the bridges had been taken out by. And you could um, trade those pictures to Nat Geo for a new truck. That's. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> the problem. But, yeah. But anyway, so I went up there. I got some pictures like nobody's got pictures. In fact, this is a really stupid way of I was thinking. Right, the Muddy River, um, the mud flow came down the Muddy River. And the mud line on the ash line on the trees was up there about 35, 40 feet. That's, you, it's hard to believe, isn't it? And I didn't connect that that could possibly have been the, uh, the ash coming down and lo and behold right where the um the uh, bridge was there was this massive boulder just sitting there so that nobody could drive across it and this is what my brain thought how could they the forest service have gotten here before i did and just to think that they wasted government money to bring this boulder in place, to put it right here so nobody could drive drive uh, into the the stream. And yet, this is the red zone. It's not going to be open it, it for years. It wasn't funny at the time, right? No, I was just couldn't believe it. So this I just, just gets worse and worse, right? <laughs> I know. And I just kept thinking, I can't believe this. And so I took a lot of pictures of this big boulder, which is now part of the monument. But I just didn't connect the dots at the time 
So but that night when I got home, I got a phone call. <clears throat> and my friend up in um, Port Angeles calls me. And that's where I used to live. And she calls me and says, Susie, do you know where Pickles is? And I thought, <laughs> uh, nobody knows. I'm laughing nobody. listening on because I've heard the story before. <laughs> you know, and I absolutely had nobody knew I lost my bird. I was too embarrassed to tell anybody. And I told nobody. And I said, how did you know I lost Pickles? And she said, you know the house you used to live in? And I said, yeah, now this gal lived next door. And she said, she's up in the tree behind the house you used to live in. And I said, no. And she goes, she's saying, are you hungry? Cookie, please. (laughs) Pickles has a purple tongue. Who else would say that? And I went, oh my gosh, it's Pickles. And she goes, I said, I'll be right up there. So I just took off and went up to Port Angeles and finally got up there and I alerted all the different media that I needed a bucket truck to get up to my bird. (laughs) And she's up there and she's scared. She's really, really scared. And I'm yelling, you know, it's okay, Pickles, I'll be there. It's okay, just stay right there. They probably have a lot of those utility yeah well i couldn't get anybody to help me though that Uh, was the it so finally when somebody got off work up there he decided to bring the bucket truck home and then he came over to help and i gave him a broom and said now hold this broom out there and she'll climb right on it well he held the broom out there and she took off and it was like i just couldn't believe and i thought you know you only get one chance to get your bird back and mm-hmm. now she's gone. Mm-hmm. So I alerted all the media again and said, you know, my bird, I lost my bird. If anybody gets a Mexican redhead and finds her, would you please return her to me? And I'll stay here for two days waiting for her. Well, at the end of two days, there was no call and I'm just about ready to leave. And the, um, uh, uh, the uh, people in uh, Canada say we know where your bird is it was their uh, new or their uh, TV people calls and said we know where your bird is and I go <laughs> really and I said you mean my my bird they go yep 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 and now are you sitting down and I said why and they said well you're gonna have to get the Coast Guard to go with you <laughs> and you're going to have to get an interpreter also. Wasn't it and the I Coast Guard that was yelling at you to leave the red zone? <laughs> no, that was the Forest Service. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, I um, I said, well, where is she? And they said, well, you won't believe this, but she's on a log boom boat on her way to Japan. And unfortunately, we were selling our unhewn logs to Japan and they were coming back already cut and then being sold in the United States. So that's what was happening in that time. And so um, I said, oh my gosh. So I called the Coast Guard and said, this is what's happening. My bird is in the mast of this boat and I need to get her. And they said, well, you're gonna have to get an interpreter. So we get in the boat, we're on our way, we're on our way to get pickles. Like a Japanese interpreter? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, think of trying to find one of those, but the Coast Guard had had a link to those people, yeah, you know. Washington, right? Yeah, yeah. So we get out there, and I said, "Please, please, please, tell the guys don't don't go up in the mast to get her. Just don't let let me let me do it, you know." And he said, "You know, the first first line of protocol is I have to go talk to the." captain i can talk to nobody until i talk to the captain and i go oh but please look at the guys they're already going up there now they see me they think that they're going to go up and get her and he said i i can't help you well by the time he got back pickles had flown and so she was gone again and she just kept on going toward the olympic national park in the mountains and all i could see was there she goes again and i just thought you know, she must be getting really hungry. I started getting really worried about her health. Um, so I went back. They took me back. I had to pay. And the Coast Guard was really nice. They didn't make me pay for anything but the interpreter. So I thought they were really sweet. And um, the next day I was leaving thinking I was never going to find her again. And the little um, Port Angeles, um, whatever it was, newspaper called me and said, your bird has been apprehended. And if that wasn't the sweetest <laughs> words to my ears, your bird has been apprehended. <laughs> and I said, where is she? And they said, well, she's up in the Olympic National Park. And I went, that's where she flew. And they, he said, well, she was up in the snow and this couple skiers thought they saw a flower because she had a red head and green body. So they were going over there to find out what kind of flower she was and found this parrot and i went oh my gosh Saying, i'm hungry i know i'm hungry <laughs> which she really was worse than hungry she wasn't feeling she good at all been, yeah she yeah yeah she was really in bad then. shape yeah so anyway wow. that was pickles but then three months later there is one of the reservoirs was not closed to fishing and once again Pickles just regenerates her wing feathers just as fast as I can clip them. And she goes whipping off into the reservoir and the reservoir's got white caps. And I just jumped into the water, started swimming. And this, this um, reservoir is um, 12 miles long and it's seven miles wide. So Wasn't it a little cold? Or? Oh, was it, well, it, yeah, it was. But the thing is, is like i just knew she's she's gonna drown you know and i and then a couple of fishermen were coming in the bay and they go what are you doing and i go my bird my bird she's out there she's got a red head with a green green body and they happened to remember the mount saint helen story because i had been out on the lecture circuit since mountain erupted and they go oh is that pickles and i go yes it's pickles <laughs> so they went out there and lo and behold they had binoculars and they found her in the white caps she had landed with her wings straight out which held her head up and that's the only reason why wow. she lived and so, so she I was floating on the yep floating water. on the water wow so that is pickle's story and listening I... audience Susie Ludy is as wild as the wildlife she studies i think you can you can see this uh, from this story and i i couldn't wait to share this story with you or have her share it with you 
You know, we've had a lot of people on air, but nothing like Susie Hardy. And I tell you, this lady, well, I don't have to tell you anything about her. You you heard it. So there it is. Susie Ludy, the wild wildlife biologist. Right. Definitely. I think I think you're a part of the wilderness, Susie. <laughs> You are. Well, I, can, I definitely love the Probably wild life. read about you life. in one of those wilderness books someday or something. <laughs> uh, so that's a that's a true story, man. I, that uh, bird is. Um, she finally uh, um, she finally did die of congestive heart failure years afterwards. Years afterwards, and um, it wasn't but five weeks later that somebody called me. Because a friend called a friend called a friend and said, somebody at one of their rescues has a Mexican redhead and would like to know if you'd like another Pickles. So I have another Pickles. But Pickles is a boy. But I still call him a her. And um, I I can really tell you that uh, I just, Mexican redheads are one of the sweetest temperament birds. But... um, (laughs) My first pickle can really fly, right? Yeah, she can really fly. That was four. I, I, I um, figured out. Well, I figured out the straightaway. That was 450 miles on the straightaway that she flew away. Wow. And she was not used to flying at all. Yeah, she was catching a breeze. Yeah, for sure. You are listening to Bird Talk Live Online, a presentation of KC Bird Whisper International Productions. These shows are live call-in bird talk shows, produced and recorded live from Kansas City. You could be the next guest on Bird Talk Live Online if you have any type of exotic bird, parrot, cockatoo, conure, budgie. We would like to share your experience live on air. If you would like to be a guest on the show, call 816-278-2494. That's 816-278-2494 anytime or visit birdtalkradio.com for details, show listings, portfolios of recent guests, and advertising opportunities for your business. Bird Talk Live Online Bird Talk shows are broadcast 24-7, 365 days a year. That's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, benefiting millions of bird keepers all over the world. I'm your host, Mike Kiger. Thank you for tuning in today.